exceptional day of prayer. And so I had asked the worship team if they could cut a song so that we could have a little bit more time of prayer at the end. But I wanted to share um, out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 9 where we're at in our text. So if you can make your way over to 2 Kings chapter 9, I, I do want to get right into it, into our text. Um, last week, I, I, I reminded you when we were in chapter 8, I, I reminded you of God's faithfulness. As, as we saw how the Lord, um, how the Lord was just faithful to, to take care of this woman who had, we had seen several chapters before, and, and her and her son, you know, she had got blessed with the son. And afterwards, there was a, a tragedy that happened in her life. And then um, the Lord brought him back to life using Elisha. And several uh, chapters later, we hear of her again. And she becomes the focus once again. And you see how God had not forgotten her. Even though she was just living her life, she continued doing what she was supposed to be doing, I guarantee you, she's just being faithful to her family and to the Lord and the things that she had been called to do. And and all of a sudden, when the Lord was going to call for a famine, she's she's brought back to the forefront of our narrative, of our storyline. And he calls for this famine, and it's going to last for seven years. And for some reason, God chooses her out of all the other people in the country and and tells her to go move to another place. And after all of that happens, she finally returns after seven years. And when she does return, she finds favor with the king for sure. But I, I believe she just had favor with the Lord. And, and she was being faithful. She, she, she just wanted to bless. And the Lord wanted to bless her. And so we, we, we saw God's faithfulness to her. And tonight, once again, we, we see God's faithfulness, but in a different way. You see, the Lord remembers all the good and all the evil that happens in the world. He, he knows it all. You know, and, and, and when I read stuff like this that we're going to be sharing tonight, I don't quite comprehend God's sovereignty. I don't. And I, 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 I could never claim that I do understand God's sovereignty of why he does certain things and why he doesn't do certain things. But the Lord, what I love, love about the Lord, because he knows all that we have done, good, bad, and indifferent. The good, the bad, and the ugly, if you will. And some of the things he, you know, we've, we've had to pay for our, our sins and our consequences in certain ways. But he came, he sent his son, and he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And so there's certain things that, that we have done in our lives that we, we're not paying the consequences for. Oh, the mind and the, the stuff that's up here. But... But again, he, he kind of has forgiven us in all this, in all our sin. And yet, when we read this story here, God goes back and remembers what happened. He is faithful to pay the consequences to those he said he would pay consequences to. And so I, I, I love that we live in this age of grace that he pours it on time and time again. And so... When we look at all this stuff, we, we, we have to re remember that God blesses those who he wants to bless and he curses those who he curses. 
But he is faithful to take care of all that. He is always faithful. One of the things I do love about the Lord, that even though he is not capable of forgetting all our sins, he's not capable of forgetting our sins. He just never brings them up to us. <laughs> he has never thrown your sin in your face. Not like your husband and your wife might do, but or, or other people. But he will never do that, ever. He's not capable of forgetting those things, but it says that he, he casts them as far as the east is from the west. And so he never brings that up. But in this situation that we see here before us, as we cover this chapter, and again, hopefully I finish uh, to give us enough time. I want to be done in about a half hour. I know people are going, yeah, right. But I'm going to shoot for it. And so we're in Second Kings chapter 9, verse 13 verses. It says, And Elisha, the prophet, called to one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramath Gilead. Now when you arrive at the pla- at that place, look, there's there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. And go in and make him rise from among his associates and take him to the inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramath Gilead. And when he arrived there, there, was, there were the captains of the armies of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. Jehu said, for which one of us? And he said, for you, commander. Then he arose and went into the house and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish. And I will cut off from Ahab all the, male, all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, the dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground that Jezebel, at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one said to him, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie. Tell us now. So he said, Thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then each man hastened to take his garments and put it 
under him on top of the steps and they blew the trumpets or blew trumpets saying Jehu is king. So as we look back here, we have Elisha. Again, he's still part of the narrative. He will be for a few more chapters. He will pop in and out. But again, we've kind of gotten away from his ministry as we've seen it earlier. And now we're into back, getting back into the kings of both nations, the northern nation, the southern nation. We're back to, to talking about them. And from here on out, we're going to see a little bit more movement of these kings coming in and out as we'll see even in this chapter. But we're going to see more movement from here on out with the kings. But once again, we see that Elisha is where he normally would be when he's not out and about doing ministry in that sense. He is with the sons of the prophets. He is one of the schools. And I think we've covered like three or four of them that there were in the northern kingdom for the most part. And when he wasn't out doing stuff, he was there mentoring these younger men. If he traveled from place to place and taught them, but he was in this particular one, it doesn't tell us which one. But for some reason, the Lord has revealed the message to him. But he's not the one that's supposed to go and tell Jehu about this message. Now, it could be that because this is going to be kind of secretive in nature, he didn't want to go out because whenever he moved, whenever he went somewhere, people knew it and they're going, the prophet is on his way. So it could be that that the Lord just wanted it on the down low and didn't want nobody making a ruckus and finding out what was going on. And so here he is with these these men. And I love the fact that he is not the one that has to do everything. And I love that. Being in my position as the pastor, I don't have to do everything. I have great people around me, men and women, that can go and do other stuff that I don't have to do. Because even though I'm the pastor, I don't have this magic little mojo, you know? Although I love doing what God calls me to go do. But God sometimes says, you're not the one to go deliver that or to go do that or to go pray for them. Go send somebody else. Or maybe that person that that came to you, hey, can you go and pray for someone? Why don't you go pray for that person? And, And so I just love the fact that he is sending somebody else. And God's been showing me this as I'm growing in this pastorate that I don't have to be the big daddy to everybody, you know? That God can use other people. And so I love the fact that, that he puts this important message. And it's huge. This, 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 this message and, and what this young man has to do is huge and something that you don't take lightly. And so there's others in his life that, that can go and do this work. He was not the one that's supposed to do it. But he tells this young man, as he calls him out, and I don't know which one he picked out, it doesn't tell us, but he picks out this young man, and I'm sure he was a a young man that was trusted, someone that he had been pouring into, but he tells him, get ready, get yourself ready, and take the flask, and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now, again, depending on where he was at, Ramoth Gilead was on the east side of the Jordan River. So it's still quite a little trek. You know, anywhere from 15 to 20 miles of of, of, of of traveling, but he is supposed to go and deliver this message. 
And it's an important one because it will fulfill prophecy. So this young man was to take a flask of oil and he was given specific instructions. He was to get ready. He was to take the oil. He was to go to Ramoth Gilead and he was to look for Jehu. (laughs) Don't you just wish that you had specific instructions like that? Every time you're supposed to go do something for the Lord and he just spells it out for you. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was the case on a regular basis that every day he just gave you your marching orders for the day? It it would make life way more simpler and everybody. But he doesn't always do that. For this young man, he gives him specific instructions. Ramoth Gilead is where the northern kingdom, along with the southern kingdom, they had joined together. They had went and fought the Syrian army. As we looked at briefly last week, Haziel now is the king of Syria, and they went to go fight against him. And so that is where the king of Israel from the northern kingdom, Jeram, or Joram, Joram, that is where he got wounded. And we again, we just kind of flew by that portion last week. But he got wounded in this battle. And so, being on the east side of the Jordan, these two kings, after the, that scrimmage, that fight, and, and the wounding of this king, they head back to Jezreel, which is north of Samaria. Some, from 15 miles north of Samaria. So they make their way inland and then up or, or towards the west and then up. But Jehu, the commander of the northern kingdom of the army, is still in Ramoth Gilead. I, I don't know if they're just picking up the pieces, whatever's happening. But he is still down there. And this young man's mission was to take the oil, find him, and then anoint him king over the northern kingdom. This will be the first one of all the kings up until then. Up until now, there's been like seven, eight kings. The first one to be anointed like this by a prophet or by anybody. And so he makes his way up into that area. And it's no small task. And what an important situation this young man is put into that that he has this responsibility to fulfill what the Lord had told the prophet Elisha years earlier. Back, back in, in, in First er, Kings chapter 19, and I read it to you last week, but I want to read it to you again. When, when Elisha had been running from Jezebel, and he finally comes to his, his senses, and the Lord speaks to him, and in chapter 19, verses 15, to, to 17, he says, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way uh, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel king over, Ju- over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, from this place, um, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And then it says this in verse 17. It shall be 
that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Now, we never see anybody that Elisha ever really kills or does anything like that. But the prophecy is being fulfilled here. Elisha, in, in his life, he was able to anoint Elisha. Elijah was able to anoint Elisha to, to do that, but he never got up to Damascus to anoint Haziel. And Haziel was anointed last week as we saw. And here's the final prediction coming true. The prophecy that, that the Lord had commanded Elisha, Elijah. And it's not like Elijah was lazy. He, he had these things in place and the Lord was going to take care of them in due time. And this is where we see that final fulfillment of what the Lord had told Elijah years earlier. And so once again, God's faithful to what He says. God is always faithful. What He has predicted, what He has promised will come to pass, even if it's years later by somebody else's hand. We see it tonight, God being faithful. And so once again, this young man had to fulfill his mission. And he was to open the door after fulfilling his mission. And he was to flee without delay. He had no time to celebrate. He was no time to make an announcement to anybody. This kid goes in, does what he's supposed to do. And I love the fact that his mission is so practical, simple, and humble as we've been sharing on Sunday mornings. That's what God has called us to do. He wasn't to, to make this scene. He wasn't to do anything but go, take the flask, call him out, anoint him in private, and then jam. And that's what he does. He takes off. Now, we don't know anything about this young man, nor will we ever know anything about this young man, except for the fact that he was obedient to the Lord. He was obedient to his master for sure, to, to, to the, the one that he was sitting under. But it was the Lord that had called this young man to be faithful, to go and do what he has asked him to do, and he was obedient. And that's, again, a lesson for us that this man, we will never know his name until we get to heaven, if we even care when we get there. And I'm sure he wouldn't care. But he was obedient. Granted, he had specific instructions but he didn't know to the full extent of what this mission or this message and his actions would bring about, not just for the northern kingdom, but also for the southern kingdom. And so in verse 4 to about verse 10 here, the young man gets there. He arrives. And he finds the captains exactly the way Elisha told him. He says, you're going to see Jehu sitting with his associates, once again, the faithfulness of the Lord, exactly. And once you see him, you're going to call him into a room. You're going to get him away from that. And that happens exactly the way the Lord said. And so this young man, I don't know how the whole situation, my mind just gets crazy when I'm looking at this. I'm going, so did they just walk in and he just like, and pours it on him, you know, this flask. And the guy's going, like, what you you know, what's going on, you know? Or does he say, hey, I got a message for you right away? However the case was, man, but he, he is standing, this young man is standing before the commander of the army who's, who's a pretty big guy. 
and he has a message and he has a, an obligation and he comes in and however the case is, he pours the oil on him. And that's a big deal. That was a sign of God's anointing coming upon him to, for a specific task. Again, we, we look at oil as a sign of the Holy Spirit falling upon people. And so here he is. He is pouring this oil on him and saying, the Lord has said that you will be the king of Israel. <clears throat> I'm sure Jehu must have thought, I have, I have no right to be the king of Israel. I'm not part of the dynasty. I'm not part of royalty like Ahab. I'm not part of that family. But the Lord has been calling them out and has called them out that he shall be the king over Israel. And so once he's done telling them that, now we get a little bit more of the story. Because in verse 7, he tells them not what he is supposed to go do. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master. And you shall avenge the blood, basically. The Lord speaking, that I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel, his wife. And the whole house of Ahab was going to get killed off. And he was cut, going to cut them all off. And then he also says that, that all this will happen uh, because of what happened um, in, in that plot of land. But it talks about Jezreel or Jezebel's demise as well. When you go back to 1 Kings chapter 21, the Lord had sent Elijah to go speak to Ahab. It was right after he had killed off Naboth and taken his property. Again, he was kind of trying to be nice about it when he tells his wife, oh, I really want this piece of land. She goes, you're the king. Go kill the guy. Take it. You're the king. You see, she, she was the daughter of a king from the Syrians, or not the Syrians, but the Sidonians. And that's the way they did things. And so they marry, and she's, he's going, you can go do this. You're the king. And he's going, oh, I don't know. And she goes, just hold on. He goes and does the work. Gets him killed. Go get your plot of land, you little baby. She didn't say it like that, but like, go get your plot of land. You wanted it, go plant your vegetables. But in that time that Elisha came to him on that very property, he told him what would happen to him. The doom that would come upon him, upon his wife, and his posterity, upon his descendants. He told them, this is the way it's going to happen. Now, the interesting that happens in that, that uh, the interesting thing that happens in that conversation that takes place between Elijah and uh, Ahab is that all of a sudden he humbles himself. Ahab does. And because of that, the Lord says, I will let you die in peace, but nobody else of your family. Again, I don't know why God would do that. It's like this guy has brought in all this wickedness to the people. He's made Israel sin and you're going to let him slide, but he did. But now the chickens are coming home to roost here. And everything that was said in chapter 21 of 1 Kings is about to happen. And so after the young man finishes telling Jehu all that he was supposed to tell him, it says that he opened the door and he fled. <laughs> it must have been a strange situation for those who were kind of sitting around there. 
of this kid just coming in. Hey, I got a message for you. Who? You. Go in. And I don't know how long it took inside that room, but this kid just jams out of there, just like, boom, takes off. And these guys that are sitting there in verses 20, or verses 11 to 13, they're just like, what is going on? And when, when this kid jams, they're going, hey, is, are you okay? Is everything okay? Is everything okay happening with you? What's going on? I, again, just picturing this whole scene. And, and Jehu comes out, and I picture this puzzled look in his face. And they're going, what's wrong? What's going on? I don't know if the oil all over his face and head was a, get, a dead giveaway. It might have been. But I could just see this man just kind of with this puzzled look. And these other men asking, hey, are you okay? And you know the tone in people's voice when everything is not okay, but they're telling you it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, and they're going, "What really happened in there?" And he goes, "Well, you, you, you know the, you know these kinds of prophets, they babble, and we do. <laughs> We're leaders, we, we can babble." And they say, "Liar, liar! Tell us now." What's really going on? And all of a sudden, he tells them what this young man has come to do. Now, I don't know what these guys have been talking about before. But could it be, is it possible, just maybe, that maybe they were already kind of talking about a coup, maybe? It's a stretch. But sometimes I stretch it. What were they doing? Were they tying up loose ends or were they going, there's something brewing here. Something's happening. And then this kid shows up, this crazy scenario happens and he leaves and he turns around and he says, the Lord has anointed me king over Israel. Because we don't see any of these guys going, whoa, 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 bro, that's kind of heavy duty. It just seems that all these guys, it says that they hastened to take their garments and put them down as they would to a king. And they blow the trumpet and they shout, Jehu, king. I don't know if that was already in the back of their mind, but all of a sudden things are beginning to happen. And it says in verse uh, 14, So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, now Jehoshaphat, uh, Jehu is not the son of Jehoshaphat from the southern kingdom. This is another Jehoshaphat, the son of uh, uh, Nimshi. It says, so, so Jehu conspired against Joram. Now Joram had been defending Ramath Gilead, he and all Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds, which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, If you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go and tell it in Jezreel. So Jehu rode his chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah, 
king of Judah, the southern kingdom, had come down to visit Joram. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, Get a horseman and send him to meet them. And let them say, Is it peace? So the horsemen went to meet him and said, This is this says the king, thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, The messenger went to him, but he is not coming back. And he sent out a second horseman who came to him and said, Thus says the king, Is it peace? And Jehu answered, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported, saying, He went up to them and is not coming back. And the driving is like the driving, and the driving uh, is like the driving of Jehu, the son of, of uh, Nimshi, for he drives furiously. And so this the situation is happening that now they're making their way back from the other side of the river, crossing over, coming up, and they're going to head up towards Jezreel, where this man is recovering, where the king is recovering. And when the guy spots them a long ways, probably sees dust way out in the distance. They would send people to find out what is going on, who it, who it is. And if it's peace, and if, and if they're with us, he wanted to find out, hey, is there peace over in Ramoth Gilead? What's going on over there? And this guy just says, hey, what? You, you don't even have to go back, man. You just join us right now. And so he sends the second guy. And so all of a sudden, this guy's going, hey, none of these guys are coming back because if if everything was okay, then he would have just came, dashed back and gave the, the news. And so all of a sudden, this whole scenario is now happening. And the guy, as he's getting closer, he goes, I could tell the guy's driving. He's a crazy driver. Fast and furious he is. He's just, he's just footloose and fancy free, man, with his chariot. He's just like, that's him driving, man. That has to be Jehu. And so when that happens in verse 21, it says, Then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Now understand, this guy's still wounded. Made, make ready. And they made ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, went out each to his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu and met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And it happened. When Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? As long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. And Joram turned around and fled and said to Ahaziah, Treachery, Ahaziah. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Joram between his arms. And the arrow came out at his heart and he sank down in his chariot. Then Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up, throw him in the track of the field of Naboth, uh, Naboth the, the Jezreelite. For remember, 
when you and I were riding behind, uh, together behind Ahab, his father, that the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now therefore take and throw him on the plot of ground according to the word of the Lord. See, God is faithful because he had said that that the sons of Ahab would be killed. And it happens on that very piece of property that, that they had taken away from Naboth. They had killed them for, for this garden. And so they're not going to get away with it. And it's years later from the time that that Ahab and Jezebel come on the scene to about right now, it's about 33 years. And it was sometime around the beginning of, of Ahab's uh, uh, reign that God that this happened and God said that this thing would be happening. And God is faithful. He, he, he will be merciful to those who He will be merciful and He will curse those whom He curses. And in this situation, they are getting their just reward for what they did to this innocent man. And not just to him, but to his sons. Because back then we just heard that they killed Naboth. But here we're told that they killed all their, all his sons to be able to take the land. And so nobody could redeem it. And so they take it away from him. But these guys had already killed so many other people. And they're getting paid back. Now, these two kings are together and they come to meet Jehu. And Joram turns around and he says, man, this guy's betraying us. And he takes off and he gets killed and he gets dumped on the property there. And Jehu tells his captain, remember when we were riding behind this guy's dad? And all of this happened. In verse 27, it says, Then Ahaziah, king of Judah, of the northern kingdom, saw this. He fled by the road of Beth Beth had gone. So Jehu pursued him and said, Shoot him also in the chariot. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is by Iblim. Then he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in the, in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. In the eleventh year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Ahaziah uh, had become king over Judah. Now it's interesting because you're going, well, why would he kill him? Well, understand at this point, Ahaziah now is Ahab's grandson. So now he is blood relative to Ahab. So he has to die because the whole family, all the males are going to get killed all his sons, all his grandsons, and anybody after that. And even though Ahaziah is, is from the southern kingdom, and he is part of Jehoshaphat's family from the southern kingdom, Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. And now they have this son, and he becomes king. Now he has to die because he is now associated with Ahab. And that's why he has to die. In verse 30, says, now when Jehu had come 
to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through the window. Then as Jehu entered the city, uh, entered at the gate, she said, Is it peace, Zimri, murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. Then he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood, blood spattered, splattered on the wall and on the horses, and he trampled her underfoot. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. Then he said, Now go, see to this accursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. So they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and her feet and the palms of her hands. Therefore they came back and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, On the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse or dung on the surface of the field in the plot of Jezreel. So they shall not say, Here lies Jezebel. What an interesting story. Jezebel hears that her, her son has now been killed. And so she paints herself up, adores herself to look like the queen mother that she was. And when she calls him Zimri, Zimri was the one that that got killed by her father-in-law. He, he was only king for like seven days. And her father-in-law, no. Yeah, her father-in-law is the one that killed Zimri. But he had killed Basha. And so again, she, she tries to, to, to put this on him, saying, hey man, you're a murderer just like Zimri. <laughs> and he's going, hey, anybody with me up there? And these eunuchs are going, right here. We'll toss her. We don't care. Throws her out. She hits the ground. He makes sure she's dead by trampling her underfoot. And it's like, this man is such a man of war that after he gets done doing all that he's done, he's hungry and he goes in to eat. <laughs> and you're thinking like, this is pretty gnarly. And so he goes, you know what? She's the daughter of a king. She should be buried at least. But when they go out there, all they find is her skull her palms and her feet. You know why? Because there's not much meat on those things. And the dogs took the rest of her body. <laughs> um, that's just my analysis of that. But he remembers, this is what the Lord said. This is what, what, what the Lord said of why all these... Th and so, again, I wanted to share with you that these are... This is where we see God's faithfulness. We saw God's faithfulness in a different way last week. We see it different this time. Now, I wanted to share all this, this message, because today is a national day of prayer. And the Bible tells us that we are to humble ourselves, that if we, His people, turn and humble ourselves, that He will heal our land. You see, there's a lot of sins in the United States in so many different ways. God's judgment 
I wouldn't blame him for judging our country, but we love our country. This is where he's, he has us. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for our country. You know, it, it's interesting that when Ahab humbled himself, the Lord relented. And again, later on in, in Second Chronicles, it says that if my people who are called by my name will humble myself themselves and pray, I will heal their land. So I want to spend this time in prayer with you guys.